0: Okay, so last couple weeks we were talking about the pits, you know, and getting out of the pits. Now we talk about being in bondage. I'm sorry, we just, you know, getting out of bondage. We get into the Moses stuff now. So, um, you know, isn't it funny how the enemy tries to, uh, you know, pound us down and um, cause us to be harmed? You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the Lord comes to give life and life in his abundance. And um, during our times and seasons in life when things are... Uh, just pretty nasty, I want you to know that God's eyes are fixed on us. And I wanted us to turn real quick to Exodus chapter 2 as we look at the promise that God gave to Abraham, he gave to Isaac, he gave to Jacob, Joseph, now we see a leader arising by the name of Moses. And in the midst of our greatest trials and our tribulations, God is at work, and uh, here little baby Moses ends up getting to be in a situation where God sends him out into the wilderness and then sends him back with a word from the Lord for the Pharaoh. But we're going to start real quick at where the Israelites started to grow in number. Joseph had passed away. The Pharaoh at the time of Joseph's life had passed on and the new Pharaoh steps up to the plate and, uh, didn't really know the story of Joseph. Didn't really, uh, uh Understand the story of what took place and notice that the Israelites were growing in numbers. And he says, Listen, they outnumber us. If we don't do something about this, they're going to join other nations and they're going to take over us. And so we need to make these Israelites our slaves. And um, in fact, the Pharaoh, it says in the Bible there, and one translation says, The Bible tells us, was hoping to wear them down. And with that said, how many of you felt like the enemies tried to wear you down? Why don't we pray real quick before we jump into this. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that even when the enemy tries to wear us down, when the enemy tries to tear into our life, try to steal our joy, try to steal our purpose, try to steal things in our life that are very valuable to us. Lord, I thank you that Jesus Christ, you live in us and through us. And that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world we declare today. And so, God, even when the enemy comes pounding at us, when the enemy comes in like a flood, there the Spirit of the Lord is to raise a standard against him. And, Father God, today we raise a standard against it and say you might have hoped to pound us down. You might have hoped to shut us up. But today, Father God, I thank you that we are free and we are free in you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23 through 25. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and I love what this translation says. He knew it was time to act. What an amazing thing for all of us that God knows exactly when he needs to act in our life. You know, you look at all the promises that God has given throughout the whole Bible and all the course of it. You know, God orchestrates time, he orchestrates season, he does all of this, and it's a really great thing that ends up happening. Crying out to him. You know, the Bible tells us to cry out to God in the New Testament, doesn't he? You know, the New Testament says that we cry out to him, and I love this, this is one of my favorite verses where it says that we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba. Everyone say Abba. Not the band Abba, but, uh, but Abba means Daddy. It means Dad. You know, when we think of the Heavenly Father, we're like, we're supposed to call Him Daddy. Yeah, we're His children and we cry out. If my children cry out to me, Dad or Daddy, I'm going to run after them. Crying out to God. We can cry out to God. We can cry out to God and say, Dad, help. First of all, we can say, help. help. You know, and isn't it funny when we go into our problems in life that we forget to ask for help? We're kind of get it done ourselves, kind of people. I can manage this. I can handle this. And then when things get overwhelming and overwhelming, we're like, man, no one's here to help me. Cry out for help. Ask someone for help. And it's a hard thing for us to do because we think we can just do it ourselves. But guys, there comes a place in life where we understand when all we have, all our help, everything we get is from God. And it's a beautiful thing. Brennan Manning writes this. And this is where we get honest, by the way. You know how many of you get to a place where You know, we get to a place of bondage. I don't care how you got in bondage. Like I said a few weeks ago, it doesn't matter how you got in the pit. That doesn't matter at this point, does it? You can get into bondage of sin and everything. And when we think of bondage today, I want us to think of bondage to sin and all that stuff that comes up in our life. Brendan Manning wrote this. He said, honesty is such a precious commodity that it is seldom found in the world or church. Honesty requires the truthfulness to admit the attachment and the addictions that control our attention, dominate our conscience, and function as false gods. I can be addicted to vodka, or I can be nice, being addicted to being nice. You know that? I can be addicted to marijuana, or I can be addicted to being love. I can be addicted to cocaine, or I can be addicted to being right. Anybody met ever being right people? I can be addicted to gambling, or I can be addicted to relationships. I can be addicted to golf, or I can be addicted to gossiping. Perhaps my addiction is food, or performance, or money, or popularity, or power, or revenge, or reading, or television, or tobacco, weight, or winning. When we give anything more priority than we give to God, we commit idolatry. Thus, we all commit countless times. Every day. See, people say, well, we don't have any idols in this, in this country. We have tons of idols. And every day in our life, the, the things that draw our attention from God to these items, those things to you and me are idols. Whether it's money or success or being loved or relationships or drugs and alcohol, we think of idols as all those big sins, don't we? But we don't really focus on gossiping, do we? We don't really focus on backbiting. We don't really focus on all of those kinds of things we get into the church. And honesty is a really important commodity for all of us. You know, we can deny all day long, and we can say, well, I'm doing generally okay. And we can go through all those things and kind of live in denial. But it comes a point in our life where we say, God, I need to honestly tell you that my life is, for the most part, completely messed up because of the things I've done with myself. God's eyes are fixed on you in spite of that. Tell someone real quick, the devil's hoping to wear you down. Come on, everybody. Tell someone, the devil's hoping to wear you down. I want you to think of sin as slavery. Not sin as a problem. Not sin as a setback. And not sin as no big deal. You know, we we serve a holy God that uh, he cannot look at sin. When Jesus was dying on the cross, we're going into the season now of Easter, the resurrection, we see the cross here. When Jesus was dying on the cross, you know, his father had to turn his back on his only son because Jesus Christ became sin for us. I want you to think of sin today as slavery. Brennan Manning writes, once we accept the gospel of grace and seek to shed defense mechanism and subterfuges, honesty becomes both more difficult. And more important, honesty involves the willingness to face the truth of who we are, regardless of how threatening or unpleasant our perceptions may be. It means hanging in there with ourselves in God, learning our mind tricks by experiencing how they defeat us, recognizing our avoidances, acknowledging our lapses, and learning completely that we cannot handle it ourselves all of those mind games you play with yourself, all of your experiences, when you accept the gospel of grace, do you know what should be happening more and more for us as we dive into scripture and God? We should be repenting more and more. Not less and less. The closer you get to God, you realize how completely other and different and separate God is than me. And taking every thought captive and going after the things of God and saying, God, I repent of this mindset. I repent of this attitude. God, I repent of the little walls and the little things. You know what's so crazy about the law and church rules? You know, the games we play in church? The law doesn't bring you freedom, folks. It's only grace. Law can never do that. Law is saying, I did these four things. Now I deserve God's goodness. And grace is... I can do nothing in it on myself. You didn't do anything to earn this. I give you this gift. And from that standpoint, we go to God and we are completely open to God and realize that in all of my life, no matter how bad the pain is, no matter how deep and severe the sin was, no matter how bad the setback, God loves me and wants to free me of the bondage in my life. That's a powerful gospel. Our lapses, learning completely that we cannot handle life on our own. Turn to someone and say, you can't handle life on your own. You think you can. And then when you're taking the stress medication, the anxiety medication, and your sleepless nights and all the different things you're doing, you're realizing, I'm not handling life too well. Tulian Shabdin wrote this, sooner or later we all hit a wall, don't we? Sooner or later, we all do. We all hit a wall. I don't know when you hit your wall. I know when I hit my wall. I hit my wall last week. (laughs) When did you hit your wall? Legendary college football coach, Urban Meyer, tells a remarkable story about his father. See... I want you to think of sin as not just, again, the, the big naughty things we talk about. I want you to look at sin in all of its splendor, if you will. I hate to use the word splendor, but it's, it's, it's appeal. It's, it's very attractive to people. During his senior year of high school, Urban was drafted by the Atlanta Braves to play Major League Baseball. Soon after arriving to the minor leagues, however, he realized he didn't have the necessary talent and called his father to tell him he was quitting. His father informed Urban that if he quit, he would no longer be welcome at his home. Just call your mom on Christmas, he said. Needless to say, Urban finished out the season and ended up embracing the incredibly conditional world of his father. Anybody been there before? A world in which failure was not an option and reflection, another word for weakness wrapped in nostalgia. Urban went on to win back-to-back national championships as a coach for the Florida Gators, and some would chalk his success up to his uncompromising attitude and work ethic. It certainly helped, but it turns out that these victories were short-lived. At least as far as Urban was concerned, the screws only got tighter. Once he had won those titles, anything but perfection would be viewed as failure. After the 2007 season, Urban apparently confessed to a friend that anxiety was taking over his life, and he wanted to walk away. He was quoted in 2011 as saying, building takes passion and energy, maintenance is awful. It's nothing but fatigue. Once you reach the top, maintaining that beast is awful. In the same interview, the reporter described him as a man who destroys himself running for a finish line that doesn't exist. Soon the chest pain started getting worse. A few hours after the Gators winning streak finally came to an end in 2009, Urban was found on the floor of his house, unable to move or speak. He had come to a breaking point. Soon he would resign, come back, and he would resign again. Now this is an extreme But every one of us, I don't care whether it's a performance orientation in your life. You know, we were in counseling and learning that performance orientation of doing good and doing more. And somehow God will accept me and God will free me. Folks, I want to tell you, God loves you right now where you're at. He loves you. He is not the Father saying, you better do these four good things or I won't bless you. You know, He blesses you in spite of you. Isn't that our loving God? He blesses you in spite of you. This is a picture a lot like our society and church. We're so driven for more and so much for better that it's never good enough. One professor called this the law of capability. The law that judges us wanting if we're not capable. If we can't handle it all. If we don't meet the expectations we put on ourselves or others put on us. Can you imagine that? The law of capability. You know, we allow people to put stuff on us and we keep running that race. You don't have to raise your hand, but I haven't mean, been there before. Exodus 1.11, don't turn there. It says, so they appointed brutal slave drivers. Now, if you can picture sin and symbolically what the enemy does in our life, one thing that the enemy is really good is he is really good at condemning you. When he went, he went before Job, he said, Hey, see your perfect servant, Job. He's not going to, you've got all these special things. If you would just remove these things in his life, if you would just let me wear him down, so to speak, he won't follow you. And some of us have stripes on our back from him wearing us down and condemning us from the things going on in our past, and maybe it's a performance thing, maybe it's what all these things that we're talking about, and all these lists here, maybe it's drug abuse, maybe it's sexual, whatever it could be, you're getting striped with things in your life, and they may say, see, you don't have victory. But you have victory hidden inside of you in Christ Jesus. You have victory. Here's the one thing, no matter how much the enemy tries to drive in you and destroy you, here is the one thing that Jesus is he is completely acquainted with our sorrows. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of many sorrows. Do you know that? Do you know, in other words, what he did is he took on the human experience. He wasn't Superman. He didn't come in a cape. He felt all the pain. You know, when daylight savings time hit, Jesus was tired too. Isn't that crazy? He had hunger pains. Sleepless nights. Thirst? Jesus wasn't dying on the cross going, "Eh, No big deal, I can take another thing. No, if you realize Jesus, you couldn't even recognize him. He didn't even look like a human on that cross. So let's get the Superman picture out. Was he perfect? Absolutely. But he was also perfectly human. He knows you, and He knows your pain. I want you to know today, when we start diving into now, what does it mean for Him to know you, that you are not a number to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says it's about you, that the very hairs of your head are numbered. I don't know how many hairs are on our head. Maybe somebody knows that fact. You can Google that one. You are not forgotten. I love this. You are etched or tattooed. On the palm of his hand, your name. Your crying isn't in vain. You know the Bible says this: that He bottles up every tear, and He keeps every tear. He remembers every pain and every every setback. He remembers all of that. He doesn't forget that. It's not waste to Him. Real quick, Exodus chapter two, twenty-two and twenty. Or I'm sorry, twenty-three and twenty-four. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. The word knew or to know is the word yada. It means this, to cohabit, to clearly understand, to know well. Turn real quick to Isaiah 43, verse 1. God knows you. And maybe these are some of the promises for you in your own life right now. Maybe you feel forgotten and under a huge burden. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by what? name?" You are mine. You know, I'm horrible at remembering people's names. I'm horrible at it. My wife knows everybody's name, date of birth, and their social security number, and the time they meet them. So she's always remembering me. But, but you know, can you imagine God, and God had every right to be this way. Once he's God, God can do whatever he wants. He, he, he doesn't answer to nobody. You know, He doesn't answer to us. He can go around and say, hey, you, right? Hey, you. I remember one time I was out helping some guys with the condo association. Oh, this lady got my grids. Have you ever been your grids before? <laughs> Sitting there doing windows with one of my guys and we we're over these condo associations and condos, God bless me, the association. these people think that everybody's just there to serve you for everything. Doing the windows and this lady comes out and I hear and my back is sort of about 50 feet away and she goes, Yoo-hoo! She goes, Yoo-hoo! Doug, no, that better not be somebody yoo and me right now. <laughs> my my name's not Yoo-hoo. <laughs> Can you imagine? God just
1: yoo you.
0: He does it. He forms you. He knows you. You are intricately and you are wonderfully made with purpose. God knows your name! It's a... Wonderful experience to have a God that knows you before you knew Him. Do you know when He came to the world and died on the cross for our sins? He came to a world that didn't accept Him, that didn't want Him. We didn't want this. We didn't want the experience. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And so He comes to a people who doesn't know Him, but He knows very well. Into a relationship, and he says, "Gada, to know, to cohabit." And so Christ comes into the middle of the thickets here, and the time of Moses and the Israelites. He says, "It's almost time for you to be released into the Promised Land. I know your affliction. I hear the cry, and I am ready to serve and to go after this where you and give you complete victory." You know the thing about God for our life is we don't really believe we'll have complete victory in our life so often. We almost get to a point where half-victory kind of defeat mode, and we're okay with that. When Christ declares war on his enemies, he says, you know what, I will make my enemies your footstool. In other words, you're going to put your foot on the neck of the enemy. I'm not going to do it. You, the church, are going to step your foot on it and declare the word of the Lord to the enemy and have complete victory in your life. The thing of it is, we just don't believe it. And it's going to take a requirement for us to really internalize the victory that God has spoke to us. Like say, God, if you know my name, this is a beautiful thing. You're the God of the universe, and you know everything about me. Guys, that's got to be the most comforting thing in the world, that he knows everything about your life. might be a very scary thing, too. (laughs) He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. What an amazing thing. Paul says this, you know, in our times of suffering, you know, we kind of say about life, well, this isn't fair. You can raise your hand to this. How many of you said you're going through something and you say, this just isn't fair? You know, God's economy doesn't work that way. You know, me and Ann were talking, I was reading a book, and you know, God can raise one man up to, let's say, run a huge corporation and make tons of money, and he's doing the things that God has called him to do. We think, we look at that stuff and we're like, oh, that's temporal, that's not... No, God's appointed that person, and God's doing wonderful things, and he's using things. But with another person, he can say, I'm flinging you to the jungles of Africa, and I want you to serve the tribes, people, and you may have your life taken away, but you're going to do it, and living, and you're going to do it, and dying for my glory. Is that okay? Are we okay with an unfair God? Are we okay that God chooses to use one person to die for His glory, to be martyred for His faith, and to give honor to God and say, you know what, like Stephen who was being stoned, God, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And then another man to walk to work with a coffee and serve them being a blessing to others And God is using them in very powerful moments to impact people all day. Is it okay for God to do that? Is it fair? And obviously the answer is yes. We cannot look at this fairness doctrine of things in our life and measuring things and say, well, why do they do that? Folks, I don't know all the answers to that. I serve a mysterious, wonderful God, but I do know that God has plans and purposes for every human being on planet Earth, whether your days are 102 or your days are 24 or your days are 89, it makes no difference. Are you serving God to your complete capacity where you are right now? You'll have victory in that. Paul found victory. I wish I had the attitude, like Paul, I like to give up a lot sooner. How many like to give up in the littlest things in your life? Second Timothy 1 verses 12 and 13. He said this, That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. That's the huge thing. When you are going through rough times in your life, it's a huge thing to trust. Huge thing to trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul knew that even in his suffering, that he could trust God and that he was completely faithful and that he was completely reliable. Paul said this, he used the word, there again, knew. He knew the Lord. And the Greek of the word know, it means to see, to perceive, to become learned. Do you know, folks, here's how you're going to have to trust God when you're going through suffering and all the, 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 seems like all the weight of the world's on your shoulder. And it it, matters no, it doesn't matter if you sing the song right or say the scripture right, you still feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders you know it's an amazing thing when you get to know God? It says that He became learned. Folks, I say this and I sound like a broken record, but if you are not reading the Word of God, you're not going to get too learned in your life with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not going to get too learned. Turn to someone and say, I want to get learned. If you want to get to know the God of the universe, you're going to have to open the pages of this book. And you know what? I don't say this to, to, to knock down. If you don't like reading too much, then I challenge you. I sound like a broken record. Get it on audio. You know when I go to work, sometimes what I'll just do is I'll plug my phone in and I'll actually just play the Bible app and I'll actually just have Scripture read to me. It's great. You know, you can actually have Scripture read to you in every language known to man pretty much. If you don't get learned, If you don't get to know God, then you will never be able to trust God because you don't know what Scripture says about God. And when the enemy tries to put stripes on your back and break you down, you will have something to stand upon and say, devil, this is a lie from the enemy, and the truth that I know is that God is a God of love and a God of all comfort, and He takes care of me, and I can have shelter here, and you can take everything from me, but you can't take that from me. You can take money from me. You can take my home from me. You can do all of this stuff. But one thing I do have is I trust in the faithfulness of God no matter what goes on in my life. You know, folks, you're going to have to do that. And turning into our culture in America now today, folks, you cannot love God at a distance. Can't love Him at a distance. Can you love your spouse at a distance? No, there, there needs to be some understanding that you need to be close to that one, and if God means anything to you, then you better find a way and create some devotion in the sense of some habits of your life, saying, God, I'm going to give myself unto you and I'm going to make this a habit in my life. You cannot love God at a distance. Rabbi Zacharias writes this I think the reason we sometimes have a false sense that God is so far away is because that is where you put Him. We have kept him at a distance, and then when we're all in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. I love what he says here. He is exactly where we left. him. Let me read that again to all of us that think God is at a distance. I think the reason we sometimes have a false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we have put him. We have kept him at a distance, and then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. He is exactly where we left. Have we left God? In our lives, there's different points in our lives. You know, here's the, here's the beautiful thing about God. Call the God and He will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. You know, David, when he went to all his places and times in life, he said, man, in the deepest parts of hell, God, are there. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble for all of us. But in our perception, and we say, well, God, you're not there, we kind of leave Him out in the distance there, and we don't draw ourselves to Him. It's important for all of us to know that. Psalm 25, 4 and 5 says this, Show me your right paths and lead me by your truth. Truth, it's a simple thing, right? We're all on a journey to find truth. What is truth? Everyone say, what is, what is true? You know, this Bible, the B I B L E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E. You know, our church is filled with a bunch of weirdos that believe and stand upon everything that this Bible speaks of. And in our culture wars and where people are trying to find truth, and whatever is good for you, that's your truth. What a bunch of bunk folks. There is so much foundation understanding that the only thing that I can stand upon, line upon line, precept upon precept, is the Word of God. There is nothing else that I can stand on today. And if you don't get that way in your life, you will float to the farthest places of the world. You will try to find your truth, and you will go to the latest Oprah seminar, and you will chase around these Hollywood people who try to tell you about your future, and they will go... Glazy and nice and they'll sit in chairs and they're nothing more than a fortune teller. And they will give you truth. They will give you a form of something. And it will give you energy. But it is not grounded upon the word of Jesus Christ. The Bible. Truth. Do you got truth? Are you seeking after it? Truth. You know Jesus said this. I am the way and the light. No man comes to the Father but by me. When circumstances start to get shaky, folks, and when the enemy desires to push us down, we start to run in different directions. We get shaky and things are good. We have a tendency to find our own truth, don't we? We, have our, we find our own truth in hard times. We're like, I'm going to get my own thing then. God, I tried your truth, and you know what? I'm going to go find my own truth, and I'm going to create my own reality, so to speak. Julian Shabdin writes, the reason it's so hard to find trustworthy people is that we have departed from the foundational belief that truth can be known. In the 21st century, truth is regarded as either unattainable or unnecessary. Truth is not hard to find. What is the meaning of life? We have come to the point where we say truth is whatever we want it to be. And that's where we are in our culture. And that's how come there's no sense of right or wrong. You know, folks, we still have right and wrong. You don't get to do whatever's right in your own eyes. The Bible still makes it very plain and clear how we're to live our life, and if you want to call it the code of conduct, and there was a time when we understood authority and we understood truth, and now man just does what's right in his own eyes, and it just works for them. It works for them. George Orwell writes, during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. You think about that in our times, you know, concepts of the Bible and concepts of faith, sin, concepts as simple as hell and heaven now are completely thrown out. And you know what? It's not the world I'm concerned with, folks. I'm concerned within and outside the church. I told you that. The world keeps doing a great job at sinning and doing its thing, but the, but the church, that's my problem. When the, church, when the church no longer grabs on the truth of Scripture and the doctrines that God has blessed us with and we completely flake out it's time to take courage and be steadfast in the Lord. Chip Ingram wrote this, and our violent, narcissistic, non-committal, me-first culture is simply the logical and predictable expression of truth as a relative, subjective, unverifiable concept. These days, Rabbi Zacharias writes, these days it's not just that line between right and wrong has been made unclear. Today, Christians are being asked by our culture to erase the lines and move the fences. And if that were not bad enough, we're being asked to join in the celebration cry by those who have thrown off the restraints of religion had imposed upon them. It is not just that they ask that we accept, but they demand of us to celebrate it too. See, the truth, in the, the truth of the Word of God requires that culture and all these culture wars that we have experiencing right now and all these shifts, and by the way, every generation has a shift. The 50s and the 60s and then the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and now into this new millennium, every generation has cultural conflicts that they deal with. And we think it's a bad thing, folks. Let me tell you something. It's a bad thing in one sense, but it also gives the church the ability to rise up and declare the word of the Lord and say, "No, it is wrong. It's still sin, and these cultural sins are not right. The Bible declares it, and we need to stand upon the truth of that." Not only does the culture say, "Hey, you accept it," the culture wants to move the fences out and say, "Hey, no, move the." Now you come out here and celebrate this with us. No, we can't celebrate these social sins. How can I celebrate the man living with a man when the Bible completely speaks explicitly about it? How can I celebrate a woman's rights When I see babies, countless thousands of babies, lose their life for a woman's freedom of convenience. And I challenge you, I hope I ruffle feathers today. My job as a pastor is not to snuggle and make sure you feel good today. I want you to know that. But in my heart of hearts today, I need to preach and tell you that the Word of God is the Word of God. And you can never change it. You can't adjust it culturally to what fits in the context of your truth right now. Because truth can be found. It's not way out there somewhere. Truth is not found in Hollywood. Truth is not found with politicians. Truth is not found with what conveniences you today. Truth is found in the Word of God. When I marriage counsel, I tell couples, Listen, you're not going to like me after week one, I promise. Because I'm going to tell you that you need to live a pure life. And you can't just sleep around with anyone and then say, God, bless me. There's a value to the commitment that you've made to the one you're going to marry. Truth hurts, doesn't it? Now I will say this. That truth, not spoken with love, you sound like a really clanging symbol. If you are not loving your neighbor, now we can all preach a good message here. We can tell our neighbors. We can write down some good message. I love it when we do these things. We give people scriptures and we're like, "Oh, I'm going to get them. Lord, thank you for that. <laughs> now God bless them. God. <laughs> That's not going to work. You don't attract people with vinegar. I, I get it. Do you know how you're going to get your neighbor... Who is in sin, or maybe a family member in sin, you know how you're going to get them to come to Christ is you're going to love them and you're going to serve them and you're going to do anything you possibly can for them. You're going to bless their socks off. You know, when Paul went from town to town and church to church, he would go to Corinth, and Corinth was a, a church filled with sin. These people found Christ, but yet they were living lives. You had stepsons living with moms and Dead. All these crazy things that were going on in the church, and he says, "It's not right. You can't do what you want to do anymore. You must live according to the law and the truth of God." See, we've gotten to a place in the context of church. And by the way, and I told you this, and I said this many years ago. It might have been 10, 15 years ago when me and Anne were first married. I said, Ann, you know what I'll go to jail for? You know what's gonna be for? She said, What are you talking about? I said, You know what I'll go to jail for someday, maybe? Is hate speech. Because if I preach certain cultural sins that are sins, I could end up in jail. And now it's happening all over the world. These days it's not just that the lines between right and wrong have been made unclear. Today Christians are being asked by our culture to erase the lines and to move the fences. See, if you have conviction in your life, you're considered not normal. If you have standards between right and wrong, you're considered to be a judgmental person. And again, it's okay to disagree in culture. I don't I don't I don't I expect everyone to just agree with me and run out the door here today and go dancing and say, Steve's right, Steve's right. That's not my point. What I want to ask you today is, what do you base your truth on, though? What are you basing your truth on? All I know to do is open this really, really old document that's been around for a really long time and has been confirmed with prophecies all throughout. All I know to do is that I do trust the Bible more than I do the, the people on television. Can I? Please investigate for yourself the truth. Please do me a favor and open the Bible once and say, God, are my convictions for my life lighting up with Scripture? Find out for yourself. And I've said it before, I will always speak to these topics I have more to say about it than a politician does. I'm a pastor. These are social issues. They will never go away. Chip Ingram writes, people say no one has the right to say what's true for everyone else. Have you heard that one before? That's easier said in theory in public than lived out. He goes on to write, when push comes to shove, people tend to make decisions based on very clear and absolute sense of what is right and wrong for them. That's not fair. I'm fighting for my rights. Who are you to say what is right? We can talk about relative truth as much as we want, but on a personal basis, we operate on a level of absolutes. We simply choose where we will draw the line, usually where the actions of others infringe on our personal space and property. All of us folks live on absolutes. Even the biggest truth seeker, I'm on a journey of truth. I'm going to climb this mountain and I'm going to get in a meditative state and I'm going to find my truth. Folks, I'm telling you today, everyone has absolutes in their life. Everyone has their sense of right and wrong. And folks, what I'm telling you today is find your sense of right and wrong, not based on the opinions of man, not based on what this person says or what this television station says but get your opinions based on the Word of God. What are we believers supposed to do? Well, one verse of Scripture says it like this, cast down every imagination and every lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So are we believers just supposed to sit back and let culture just take completely over our, and, 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 and kill our lives? No. I'm going to sit back and watch this. We are supposed to rise up. And you are supposed to argue. Arguing is a good thing. Arguing is not throwing dishes and plates, folks. Argue is simply a debate and saying, hey, it's worth the investment and time for us to run after this. Paul found it. He thought it was really important in the church to go church to church. He thought it was really important to go to these philosophers who said, to the unknown God. Remember in Acts, to the unknown God? He said, hey guys, what a cocky little guy Paul was. I know this unknown God. I know him. And most of the philosophers thought he was crazy. And folks, most of the people in your life will think you're crazy for putting your foundation and your trust in the very Word of God. This timeless Word of God breathed of the Holy Spirit. We're called to help those around us see their own hypocrisy. You know that? That sounds crazy. After that's not right. We're not supposed to judge. We're supposed to help them see their own hypocrisy. And by the way, we're also supposed to help ourselves see our own hypocrisy. Anybody ever been hypocritical in here? Before, you have to raise your hand. We're supposed to help people and ourselves review and view our truth and see what's going on. Folks, I want to be someone today. Say, what does this have to do? Well, it's in culture where we're at. I want to be someone learning the ways of God to know His ways. I want to know God's ways. I want to know what it's, I want to know that what I'm doing is step by step. God, am I following after you? Am I going after you? Jesus said like this. Narrow is the way of salvation. Folks, I want you to think about this week, as God is getting you out of bondage to certain things in your life, I want you to rethink your thoughts and convictions. Every one of them. Write them down. Write write down the things that really stick to you, your, your personal, ugh, this is it, and write it down and make sure that it lines up for God. And I want you to know that this shouldn't embolden you or make you more of a proud person. See, I've been right this last 12 years of my life. I hope it breaks you down more to realize, in many ways, how far we've distanced ourselves from God and the ways of God and the ways of Scripture. Are you thinking about your own thoughts and convictions, what you believe, and why you believe? Are you listening to the culture's gospel? Are you listening to itching ears? Things that make you, want to, oh, I want to go after this, I want to hear this. This, this. this makes me feel more warm and fuzzy. Or are you truly getting into the truth of God's word for your life? Let me ask you this. Are you listening to the culture's gospel or is your ear turned to the gospel of Christ which declares, this is a really crazy thing, pick up your cross and follow me. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what He does, it calls us out, out of bondage, but not to live for ourselves anymore, but for... God, I don't want to be a better version of Steve. I want my life to be hidden in Christ. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, the Bible declares we must also share in his suffering. Folks, some of us today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you might be going through some suffering right now. It might be in the form of, in your mind, emotions, physically, whatever it may be, But I want you to know that God knows you today and He is with you. And I don't know how He breaks through in your life, but I do know in that that the enemy tries to wear you down and cause you to surrender to Him and to live in condemnation. And I want you to know today you are free. Today I don't even know how to really address this altar call, but just simply to say today, are you hidden in Him? And if you're not, you can be. And you can cry out to God, maybe you forgot about this. And all of you are trying to figure out the problems and manage the pain. So often our life is pain management. Spiritually speaking. And today you just want to cry out to Daddy, Abba. Today, maybe you like Paul, you want to run to him and to know him, to learn his ways. Maybe you've been off distance and you placed God over there while you've struggled through your pain. He's exactly where you left him. Today, God is here for you. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just in the silence of the moment. You say, you know what? I'm, I'm crying out right now to Daddy, to Abba. Why don't you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm crying out, Abba. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, call you Daddy today. Thank you for loving me and caring for me. that you know more about me today than I know of myself. I trust you in this pain. I trust you in the middle of the struggle. I'm going to get to know you better. Daddy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, it's a pretty awe-inspiring thing. I know this wasn't one of those messages to jump and shout about. But I want you to know in our battles, in our personal battles, that if you could be hidden in anything, it would be finding your place in Scripture and planting yourself on it. Do me a favor and plant yourself this week. Plant yourself on the truth and the knowledge of who God is and knowing Him. I just want to pray a blessing over all of us today. Father, I thank You for Your Spirit moving in our lives. Lord, I just pray, God, as each person, Lord God, gets to know You more and more. God, I pray that You reveal Yourself. And God, coming out of bondage to the things that hold us back, the sin and the things that that we've become personal slaves to and they become idols to us. God, we submit ourselves to you and ask God that you do a great, great work and your deliverance and your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you guys very, very much. Have an awesome, awesome week. Fellas, don't forget about Tuesday. Sloppy Gems.